Sorry for the delay. I thought you all might be interested in knowing that Lillian and Eleanor are here today. So it was good to see uh, Matthew and Harley back there in the cry room. And I went back to just check and see if they'd be interested in bringing the baby girls up and letting you all see them. So who do you have here, Harley? Eleanor. This is Eleanor. Matthew, you got Lillian then. All right. They look quite a bit different, actually, don't they? Um, they're both doing well. All right, so you got a great report back from Lillian. Mm-hmm. No cystic fibrosis, right? Just a few weeks. And how long were they in the NICU after they were born? Two weeks. Two weeks, all right. So um, how old are the girls now? They are two months on Thursday. All right, well, good deal. This is their first trip to church, and uh, I want to officially welcome them and welcome you all back. Thank you. Lord bless y'all. I would really like to do that anytime we have a baby uh, come to church for the first time. It doesn't always work out, but um, I'm glad that those girls were able to come up to the front today and uh, that they're here at church and doing well. That is truly a blessing. Children are a heritage from the Lord. It's good to see all of you today. I hope you're all doing well. And... Um, very encouraged in in your walk with the Lord. As we get started today, I actually want to do something a little bit different because I need to try to communicate something to the church as often as I possibly can to try to get us on board here with something. Uh, you've heard us talk about Share Faith Connect a pretty good bit, and I want to uh, help you to understand that a little bit better. There, When it comes to apps for that are associated with New Life Baptist Church, there are two that you can download that are associated with this church. The first one is just our church app. It's this one right here. It's got our logo on it. And you download that through ShareFaith. ShareFaith, uh, I think you just type in ShareFaith for the app, and then you choose New Life Baptist Church. It's uh, New Life Baptist Harvest is the ministry that you would choose. And then you will have that uh, this particular app. And this one has, uh, it, it's something that anybody can can have any anybody who wants this app can download this app onto their phone. Um, it has uh, uh, Bibles on it. It has uh, links to go to our sermons and listen to the sermons. Uh, it has a calendar. It has a way to give. You can give to the church through that app. That's the one that you could give on. Okay, that one right there. Now the other one that's associated with Share Faith Connect. This is a living directory. In other words, this is a directory that is a pictorial directory, you can add your picture on there. You can update your picture. If you move to another address, you can update your own address on there. Uh, If you get a new phone number, you can update your phone number on there. Um, At the same time, on that particular app, you can see the groups or the teams associated with New Life Baptist Church or part of the ministry teams. You can add yourself to one of those teams, all right? And you can also see everyone who is on each team. So this app is an important app to have because it gets us connected. If you're going to somebody's house and you've never been there before, you're not sure of the directions, you can pull up their address on the ShareFaith Connect app. You can tap that app or tap that address, and then it will take you to Google Maps You can tap directions, and then you'll be able to follow the directions to their house. 
If you want to add their phone number to your phone, there's an option there to add to contacts. All you got to do is tap add to contacts and it will add that person to your contacts list on your telephone, on your cell phone. Um, now, this app is one you have to download ShareFaith Connect. After you download ShareFaith Connect, you uh, need some credentials in order to get in there. If you're not on this today, after our small groups, I want to help you get onto that app today. And uh, I'll go to my office when small groups are over with, and I'll try to be there close. If you need help getting on there, uh, I will be there to try to help you to do that. Caleb will be around as well, be around my office if you could, Caleb, and we'll try to work together on any of those that we, that we can. Most folks, it'll be pretty easy, okay? So if you have questions about that, let me know, but it's my effort to get everybody uh, onto this. E- all the kids in here have a profile on that, all right? Because everybody's grouped together in your family. So like Tanner him and Claire, and then Malachi and Diana, you can see pictures of them on there, uh, and they're all in one family, okay? So um, the youth who have cell phones, they can have this app as well and be connected that way uh, through the ShareFaith Connect app. Y'all let me know if you have any questions about that. Really just making a lot of effort to try to get us on there. When we sign up for small groups, I mean for um, ministry teams, I would like for us to do that through the ShareFaith Connect uh, app or resource that we have here. You can do it online or through, your, through the app. So we're trying to get everybody connected. All right. We'll go to our sermon slides now. And to, to get started, I would like to read actually from Ephesians chapter 3. This will be our opening text, but I'm not going to spend a lot of any time here really. I want to read Ephesians 3. Verses 8 through 13. Ephesians 3, verses 8 through 13. And then we will go back and look at some of the passages that we were studying last week together. And this is Binding and Loosing in Church Life, a part two. All right, Ephesians chapter 3. I'll start reading at verse 8. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. This is the word of the Lord. To me who am less than least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. According to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Therefore I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory." May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we call upon You this morning because You are our God and Father. And we can say that because of our Lord Jesus Christ who is raised from the dead according to our gospel. 
Uh, Father, you are so very good to us. I thank you for the many evidences of that, but for that which we have seen this morning already with Eleanor and Lillian and their good health, their presence with us today. We do thank you, Lord, for sustaining this family uh, over these last two months. And, Lord, we trust you will continue to be with them and uphold them. Uh, Thank you, uh, Lord, for the blessing of children that you give to this church, to the families of this church. I pray for our parents that they would be able to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Father, I pray that our children would not uh, be disobedient, but honor their parents and be obedient to their parents. I pray fathers will not provoke their children to wrath, but... Lord, raise them in the Lord. Uh, Father, I pray today for the folks who are homebound and not able to make it out to church. I pray that you would please be with them. I thank you that they can join through live stream and be a part in that way. But I pray, God, that you would give them peace. For our folks who may be out today traveling or sickness, God, I lift them up to your throne of mercy and grace that they might find comfort today in their sickness or as they travel. And Lord, I do commit this time to you. I pray you'd bless me to be able to deliver your word to your people. Help us to learn today and to grow in Jesus' name. Amen. I started off with this passage because we are talking about life in the local church, the little sermon series that we are currently in. And we see the importance of the local church Uh, the church in general, in uh, chapter 3, verse 10, for we know that it is through through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is being made known, not to the world, but to principalities and powers, the, the Bible says, not in earthly places, but in heavenly places. And this is all according to the eternal purpose Uh, which God accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you take your Bibles and turn back to Matthew, we were here last week and really want to try to wrap up some things today from this. And the first thing that we will look at today is this. We see the, the church manifold. I just read that the manifold wisdom of God, the various, the... Um, varying wisdom of God is made known. And uh, now coming to the, this first point, I, I point out to you the church manifold, the, the variety in the church. And the first thing that we see here is that we see the church as universal. Now, What do I mean by that? I've talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and where do we see it in these passages? Uh, If you'll look at Matthew 16 and find verse 18 of Matthew 16. It's the word ecclesia that's used here. This is the first place that Jesus uses the word. And the word church is used by Jesus only twice in the Gospels, and it's in Matthew 16, and it's in Matthew 18. 
In verse 18 of chapter 16, it says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, this use is um, the church universal. Jesus is talking about building his worldwide universal church from century to century. He will build his church until he returns. So upon this rock, I will build my church. But we also see the church as local. If you'll go over to chapter 18. And there find verse 17, where Jesus uses the word ecclesia twice. Ecclesia is the word for church. It means the assembly of the called out ones. In verse 17, he says, If he refuses to hear them, chapter 18, verse 17, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So, this usage obviously is a local church use. It's not talking about telling this sin to the church universal, because that would not make any sense. But it talks about telling it to the local assembly wherever those believers are gathered together. All right, so we see the universal church, the use of the word in chapter 16. We see the use of the word as a local, speaking of them locally, in chapter 18. And the, really, if you think about it, the way that this is so manifold, the manifold wisdom of God through the church, and at least in this way, in all these local assemblies. Here we have a group of folks who are a lot alike, who are gathered together here this morning. We assemble in the name of the Lord, having believed in that gospel of Jesus Christ, that He died for our sins, that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. By that gospel, we have been saved. We gather together in his name and worship him. But there are congregations gathered all over the world around this same time that we are gathering who may be much more diverse than we are. They speak different languages than we speak. They look differently than we may look. They have a different background than we, than we have. And... Uh, so, but, but yet, through all of these congregations, the Lord is showing forth His manifold wisdom. So, the first thing I want to point out to you here is the church manifold. The church in its various forms. Universal, and then the many forms of the local church. The second point is this, the church in ministry. We're going to stay, stay here in chapter 18 in Matthew and talk about the church in ministry. The first thing that I'd point out to you here is a ministry through conflict. Within the congregations that the Lord would, would build up, He would add to His church daily, and He's continuing to add to His church daily those who would be saved. Um, within those congregations that form in... Um, different areas, different cities, different regions, there would be conflict within those churches. And here in Matthew 18, I'll reread some of these verses here, but in verse 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault against you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. This is the best form of uh, conflict resolution. You go and tell the brother his offense against you, his sin against you. He hears you. You're reconciled to your brother. 
verse 16, But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. All right, so the second, and this is the second best, is that you take two or three with you. That way, the whole matter is established. There are two people there, two or three people there to help mediate between the two so that maybe things can be clarified right there. And perhaps the brother will hear and that there will be reconciliation. Verse 17. Uh, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So we see uh, ministry through conflict, but we also see ministry through confrontation. How many of you really like confrontation? I don't either. Um, most of us don't really care for it too much at all. But do you see how it is a necessary component of church life? Jesus here actually took time to give clear instructions to his church on how to have deal with conflict and how to deal with confrontation or that confrontation is necessary. This isn't the only place in the New Testament. But this is one of the main places that we would turn to. Now, continuing to look there at verse 17. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. The heathen and the tax collector is the idea of letting him be to you like a man who is lost, like one who is not actually regenerate. He's a heathen, a pagan, or a tax collector. Someone to the Jewish people would have been a traitor. And to, to, to the nation of Israel. So they would not be looked at in a well light. When we look at this and think about it as it works out in the New Testament, we see things like this. We see phrases like, turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his soul may be saved in, in the day of the Lord. And so it seems like the way this worked out was in that way. Uh, the Apostle Paul actually turned uh, Hymenaeus and I think it was Alexander over to Satan that he may learn not to blaspheme or that they may learn not to blaspheme, First Timothy 1. The church in Corinth was to, as Paul had done, turn the uh, brother who was called in sexual immorality over to Satan that his soul may be saved. So it did not mean that he, was a, that he had lost his salvation. But what it did mean is that he was... Uh, under the control of Satan now. Satan's had free reign on him. Um, now, let, let's continue to look at verse 18, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Verse 18, and, and I'll bring up the next sub-point here, is through ministry through forgiveness. In verse 18, Assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, as obviously with the title of these messages, Binding and Loosing in Church Life. Uh, this is the reason, verse 18, and then in chapter 16, we found a similar verse to this, this idea of binding and loosing. And both of these are in relation to the, the church. Now, last week I told you in chapter 16 that Peter... When Jesus addressed him and he said, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The you there is singular. He is speaking directly to Peter. 
And I told you last week that like John Stott uh, said, it's Peter in his confessional capacity as he confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, as Christ, and as the Son of God. Then it's, it's Peter in his confessional capacity. Jesus is giving him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Here, however, in verse 18, where it says, I surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. The you here is plural. So he's saying, I give, I say to whatever, I say to y'all, whatever y'all bind on earth. All right. Whatever you all bind on earth. So he's talking to the church. And there's, there's importance behind this because this idea of, turning a brother over to Satan unless you're an apostle, or and there aren't any more of those today, so that rules that out, um, uh, in, the, in the sense that they were in the New Testament. And uh, then, um, you know, you, you think of the matter of turning a brother over to Satan or treating him as a heathen and a tax collector. This is not something one person determines. This is something that is determined by the church. And the only one of the only two votes that I know of in the Bible um, would be in relationship to the discipline of the man in First Corinthians five. The church in Corinth there um, put him out of the church, and that tells us in Second Corinthians chapter two that it was determined by the majority. So apparently there was a vote there where they determined as a church and the majority of them said, yes, this brother is in sin. He will not repent. We're turning him over to Satan. He will be treated like a heathen or a tax collector. In verse 18, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. How many of you have a translation that says will have been? Bound or will have been loosed. Anybody in here? Nobody says that in verse 18? I'm really surprised that. I thought the New American Standard, I know that it used to have that. Um, and an alternate translation in, in my, at the bottom of my footnotes, I'm in chapter 18, verse 18, is is just that, will have been bound. So what it could be indicated here is that what is determined in heaven is then determined on earth by the church. So God has already made a determination about an individual and then the church aligns with that. The will of heaven being done on earth. Do y'all remember the Lord's Prayer where, Je- where Jesus told his disciples to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the desire was that the will of heaven would be done on earth. And that's, that's what, however you line it up here, that's the idea that the two match, that the church is doing what God's will is in heaven. Um, the binding is the idea of him being bound in his sin. The loosing is the idea of the forgiveness of sin. 
You might ask the question, what does it look like to be turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh? Anybody ever asked that question or thought about that? I'll give you a couple of examples. One is Job. Not that Job was under church discipline, but Job was, or Satan received permission from God to wreak havoc on Job's life. And he did that. Now, I'm not saying that being turned over to Satan will look just like that for everybody. But what it means is Satan apparently has free reign or more reign than normal in a person's life. Let me take you to another example. If you turn in your Bibles to Luke. Again, this is not a, this is not a church discipline example. But this might give us an idea of what it means to be turned over to Satan. Uh, Luke 22. Luke 22. And this has to do with Jesus and Peter. And I'll read 31 through 34. If you could find verse 31. Luke 22 verse 31. All right, I'll read. It says, And the, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. In other words, he's going to wreak havoc in, in Peter's life, Simon's life. And you'll notice here in verse 31 that Satan had to ask Jesus for this permission. Satan did not have just uh, permission in everybody's life, to do anything that he wanted to do. It had to be given to him by the Lord. Verse 32. But I have prayed for you, Jesus says that he has prayed for Peter, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny three times that you know me. All right, so apparently this last part here has to do with how Satan is going to uh, have his way in Peter's life. We know when it came to Judas, Satan actually entered Judas. Uh, the Bible tells us, I think it's in John chapter 13. And then Satan and, Jesus, and Judas were given permission by Jesus to go and betray Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Here though with Peter, Satan had something to do with Peter's denial of Jesus. And it was through this that Satan was going to sift him as wheat. Because we know that after Peter betrayed Jesus, he, he, was, he had remorse. He went away, he was upset about this. And, but yet, he did not follow the line of Judas to go and commit suicide to hang himself. But Peter came back and he was restored. As a matter of fact, he betrayed Jesus or denied Jesus three times. And in John, at the end of the gospel, we see that Jesus restored him three times to the, God, to the ministry which he had called him to, to feed his sheep. 
So maybe that's a little idea as to what what um, being turned over to Satan looks like. Now, if you'll go back with me to Matthew, we'll uh, look at these scripture references that I have here, and then we'll call it for this morning. But you see here in Matthew chapter 18, this happens where the you know they're giving this instruction about binding and loosing. The two or three gathered together in my name. Again, if we are to rightly interpret this, this isn't just talking about two or three people getting together and then Jesus is there in the midst. That's, that's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about, two or three gathered together for the purpose of making a decision, a, a determination about uh, church discipline, uh, in a, a sin of a brother in a church. Now, in verse 21, this is what I read last week at the end of the message. And you remember how this goes. I won't read all of it, but I'll get us started with the first part. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him up to seven times. So Peter thought he was being pretty generous here. Seven times. And then in verse 22, Jesus, no doubt, um, shocks him and shocks us but it says jesus said to him i do not say to you up to seven times but up to 70 times seven so 490 times in other words it's unlimited peter and then he goes on to give this parable about the unforgiving servant now you'll see that the uh, unforgiving servant was forgiven a great deal as the king had decided to settle accounts with those who owed him and he, he forgave him uh, a lot of money. But then that same servant who had been forgiven by his master, he went and he would not forgive those who owed him just a little bit of money. It came back around to the master and the, the, the master was, was angry about this. In verse 33, it says, Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Now in verse 35. So my heavenly father also will also will do to each of you. I'm sorry, do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I pointed out to you last week at the end. How important it is for us to be able to forgive. And the reason that we see in this parable as to why it's so important for us to be able to forgive one another is simply because God has forgiven us so much. What we do in our offenses to one another pales in comparison to our offense against God. And if we know and understand that forgiveness from God that we have, then it really ought to make us very ready and quick to forgive one another. And that's a lesson to be learned here from this. Now, let's do this. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Luke 17. Luke 17, we'll pick up at verse 3. I'll read 3 and 4. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in any of these, but I want to bring them to your attention. 
Jesus, in my heading, says at the top of Luke 17, Jesus warns of offenses. And then down in verse 3, all right, so if 1 and 2, there's, um, there is offenses that come from the world, then in verse 3, he says, take heed to yourselves. All right. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. All right, remember that passage. It's real important. Luke 17, 3 through 4. The next one I'd bring to your attention is Matthew chapter 6. If you'll turn back there. Getting a little bit out of order, but this will be easier for us. Matthew 6, verse 12. This again is in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, verse 12. Notice how Jesus is, the, the prayer for His disciples that He teaches His disciples goes there in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let me ask you a question. Would you want God to forgive you the way that you forgive others? Because he says there, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He's praying for that and asking for it. It's almost like a comparison. Lord, in the same way that we forgive those who trespass against us, will you please forgive me? And then if you'll go to verse 14 and 15, Jesus concludes this after giving this model prayer In verse 14, he says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive men, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is a weighty verse. And I'm not going to spend any time trying to explain it away. It says what it says. And it's spoken, it's recorded in such a way so as to help us to be very sober-minded about whether or not we forgive others. Because forgiveness that we have toward others should be a big deal to us because it is a big deal to God. Now, the next one I would ask you to go to is Ephesians 4, verse 32. I bet a lot of you have this one memorized. Ephesians 4, verse 32. We'll read this one and then two others and be done for the morning. Ephesians 4, 32 says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The order of that's no doubt strategic. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving. 
The forgiveness is more likely to come from a tender heart, tender mercies toward other people than it is toward hard-heartedness toward others. Colossians chapter 3. This is our memory verse from last week. Verse, verse 12 is. hope you've got it memorized. In Colossians 3, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. Notice how the last part of for 13 ends, the middle ways there. And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Powerful words and good words for us to be reminded of this morning. The last passage may be unexpected to you, but if you turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Takes a lot of courage to ask folks to turn all the way back over to Leviticus at the end of a sermon like this. But I'm doing it anyways. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 and 18. You'll notice this passage has within it the second greatest commandment. In Leviticus 19, at verse 17, it says, You shall not hate your brother. In your heart. Y'all remember how the end of Matthew 18 says, Forgive him from your heart, from his heart. So, verse 17 You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin against him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I ask you this morning, in church life, we're going to have conflict. We're going to have confrontation. The objective and the goal in all of our hearts in ministering to one another in this way ought to be forgiveness. It ought to be to love one another and to show the very tender mercies of God toward one another. Have you experienced that this morning in your own personal life and a forgiveness of sins? If not, I remind you of that gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to our gospel, was raised from the dead. Why was he raised from the dead? It's because he indeed died, not because of his sins, but for ours. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb, but he rose again on the third day. And that Jesus Christ, who died for sinners is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him. I hope you know forgiveness of sins. That you are not only right with God, but that you are then able to extend that same forgiveness toward others in church life and throughout life. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank You so much for Your Word. It's... Really, a lot of it's just real simple. But we are in need of your grace to be able to do this. Saving grace. 
but then, Lord, just a maintaining grace in our lives to sustain us. Father, I pray for your word as it has gone out. I don't know how all you'll use your word in our lives today, but I do pray that you will. And that I know we'll be the better for it as you do. Father, I pray that for any who don't know forgiveness of sins, they've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that today might be the day of salvation, that you'd convict them of their sin, of, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And, Father, that they would come to you believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.